as confident as FC Basel's Sebastiano Esposito taking the ball away from a teammate and absolutely nailing the free kick, we are sticking it top bins with quite possibly our best interview yet. Season 2, episode 4, dear listeners, welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. I'm Tommaso and as always I'm joined by... Rory, you can follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglopod and on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. Tommy, how are you today? I'm super pumped for the interview. So, guys, right away, you know that the interviewee is Mr. Eamon Zayed. Uh, we couldn't stop him from talking. Uh, we were <laughs> aiming at 45 minutes at first, but then we were just having a great time and the interview kept going so this is going to be a long episode but you know us and you know that we're not great at time management uh, i had a great time you guys will find out more about this absolute hero very soon but we also have a lot of other things to talk about including transfer window deals the state of europe's top five leagues spoiler alert france is not part of it anymore <laughs> but also international break rory how have you been I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited about the interview. Like you said, it was, honestly, listeners, it, I think it is the best interview we've had so far. It ran a little over, but it's definitely worth it. Really good interview. Really nice guy. What a career, man. I'm excited for our listeners to hear about his story. Definitely. And towards the end of the episode, don't forget, after Eamon's interview, there is our customary one minute to kick off quiz. And Rory is going to test my knowledge about the Italian national team from 2002, I believe, to 2021. Are the questions super hard as always, Rory? As always. They're only difficult if you don't know the answers, right? I don't know. Uh, no, I've tried to make them. I've tried to make them. I don't think they're too difficult. I don't think they're too difficult. But as I just said, I know the answers, so maybe they are. Listeners, you need to let us know if we are like not making the questions even. I'm aware that maybe like one of us makes it harder for the other. But Yes, and guys, if Rory starts speaking weird or he just doesn't make sense, we know that that's usual Rory, but he got his second dose of vaccine today <laughs> and he's feeling quite something, right? Yeah, it's definitely starting to like, you know... The, everyone's gone through it but like my arms aching and i'm currently clutching onto a can of monster that's going to get me through the rest uh. of this record yeah mate i'm honestly like holding my nose as i drink it i'll be honest um but you know i'm here and at least it means i'll have no more internet problems if i've got the double vaccine i'm now up to 5g so definitely no lag will be all third right dose, the third dose is going to give you the 6g but without further ado i think it's time for our euro review And welcome to our Euro Review, beautiful listeners. We've got a lot of ground to cover, but what could we start with if not the craziest transfer window that any fan has ever witnessed in their lifetime? And of course, I think that Rory Criscuolo needs to issue a quick apology to Cristiano Ronaldo. Yes, I did accuse him of being a liar. And honestly, I think he had his own back on most people who who um, record podcasts, I think, because the way he switched and changed his mind so quickly meant that by the time we'd released our show, it was already out of date. So yes, I apologize, Ronaldo, but also you kind of got your own back on us, making our show completely redundant instantly. So well done. Good work, mate. Thank you very much, Ronnie. 
So as a Premier League fan, how does it feel to have Ronaldo back in the league? Yeah, it's kind of terrifying, right? I think the listeners are kind of aware of the fact that I'm scared of how good Manchester United are looking and how sensible their signings have been to an extent. Um, with Ronaldo, you know that he's always, like people keep saying that he's he's not the same player, he's not going to make a difference or he's not going to hit those heights again. I think you can still almost guarantee that he will be among the top goal scorers in the league, if not the top goal scorer. He seems to have done it for the, every year in Italy, right? Um it's maybe not the player that Manchester United needed. Um, their midfield still needs addressing, but you can't deny that having Ronaldo in your team makes it stronger. That is just a fact. Um, I kind of think Man City almost tricked them into signing Ronaldo. I don't know if it was some like weird play for Haaland. I've got this like conspiracy theory that Man City want Haaland, but they were worried that United would go for Haaland. So they said they wanted to go for Ronaldo. They knew that United, they were never going to let Ronaldo sign for City. So they had to come in and buy him. And now next summer, United can't afford Haaland and City can get him uncontested. What do you think? I actually was reading in these days from pretty reliable sources, including uh, Fabrizio Romano, that despite Cristiano Ronaldo, Manchester United are going to make Erling Haaland their top oh, objective wow. in the next transfer window. Damn, damn. Yeah, I was I hoping know. that would rule out the Haaland United bid, I'll be honest. I don't know. How much money do the Glazers have? Like paying both Cristiano Ronaldo and Haaland and all the rest of the team? Jesus, yeah, that sounds like a the lot Glazers- of money. A lot of United fans will tell you the Glazers don't exactly invest a lot of money into the team, not usually. It's all kind of generated from the club, right? Um, yeah. So maybe my conspiracy theory all falls apart. But anyway, ultimately, look, to have Ronaldo back in the Premier League is a great thing. He was fantastic when he was here last time. I think it's going to be... It makes the title race a lot more interesting um, or even more interesting. I think it kind of... The teams that we're expecting to challenge anyway were like Chelsea, Manchester City... And now we've got Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United now maybe. Um, I think it puts another horse in that race. So that's only a good thing. But since we are the Anglo-Italian pod, we also need to analyze the Italian point of view of this situation. And I loved the wording from Cristiano Ronaldo interviewed at the Manchester United microphones. He basically worded it like, leaving Juventus was the best decision of my career. And uh, I loved it. I loved all of it, and I think that Cristiano Ronaldo is going to look back at his experience at Juventus and be like, wow, there was one thing that I shouldn't have done in my career, and that was it. Well, he still won goal scorer for three consecutive seasons, I believe. He still won the Scudetto, he still won the Coppa Italia, but I mean, I, he just seems well happy to be away from Juventus. And... Funnily enough, every Juventus player has shared an Instagram message or Twitter message to wish him good luck, except... Do you know this one, Rory? Is it Dybala? It's club captain, Giorgio Chiellini. Wow. He did did not say a word. I don't think he's happy about the way Cristiano Ronaldo has treated Juve, but as an Inter fan, I just look at it and giggle, especially quite because... Quite funny. It is quite funny. Especially because see. Juventus, you would never guess, they are fucking struggling in the league and they have one point after two games. So do you think, Rory, that without Cristiano Ronaldo, Juventus really cannot... Should we expect Juventus to make, Juventus to make a push for the title without Ronaldo or not? 
My first instinct is no. My first instinct is no. And to be honest, I wish I'd waited to put my title-winning accumulator on a little bit longer because I put Juventus on there when they had mm. Ronaldo. And now he's left. It looks like that bet has gone to shit already. So thanks again, Ronnie. Uh, but no, I think Juventus, no. I watched them against Empoli and look, freak results happened. But Empoli were really good. And Juventus were really, really bad, like really blunt, really ponderous, no real focus, no real focal point. I think that Juventus are going to miss him more than Juventus fans want to admit they're going to miss him. Right. And uh, since we were talking about United, I wanted to ask you, WTF, Donny van de Beek? I don't really understand. You were talking about sensible business from Man United, but I don't really get what's going on with Donny van de Beek. Of course, we saw how great of a player he was for Ajax. Then it was quite of a big signing for Manchester United. He hasn't played that many games, and he seems relegated towards the edges of the squad. Is that correct? Yeah, he cannot get a chance, and I have no idea why. Look, I don't know enough about United and the inner workings of it, but from the outside... It does seem quite a strange situation. He was a player, he was key part of that great Ajax team that got to the Champions League semi-finals, quarter-finals, semi-finals, right? He was a key part of that team, really promising player. I kind of get the feeling that he wasn't, he was bought by the owners, not by the manager, and the manager didn't really want him. And now he's kind of, they've almost moved on developing the team already, and he's only been there two seasons. They've kind of found other players that fit this system they want more, and now... He's kind of lost. I'll tell you what, I'd take him at Arsenal tomorrow. If they if they want to transfer this to him, I would quite happily take him at Arsenal. But it is quite sad to see because he was a player that I was really excited when I watched him within that Ajax team. I was like, I can't wait to see where this guy goes on, what he achieves, who he goes for. And for him to just become a bench warmer just seems a bit sad. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And uh, I mean, as an Inter fan, we were we 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 have midfield. We have the players that we need, and uh, Donny van de Beek would be a problem, I think, from the wage point of view, but also from the fact that he would struggle to find room in an already consolidated midfield. But seeing such a young and bright talent relegated to the bench and not being given a chance. I don't know. It's uh, it's just a little sad. So good luck, Donny. Apparently Everton made a move for him, but United were just like, no, we're not going to sell him. So why not sell or loan the player if you're not going to give them a chance? Please, Oli, if you're listening, give us an answer. But Rory, looking at my notes, I kind of wanted to bring up how much sensible business Chelsea have done over this transfer window. They've gotten rid of the majority of their squad. And you would think that the that the Lukaku signing would be a big toll on their budget? No, because reality of the fact is that at the end of the transfer market, Chelsea actually have a surplus of 35 million euros. So what do you think of the North Londoners, Rory, and their very sensible uh, market this summer? South London. They're not North London, South London. But oh, yes. Sorry about that. They... That's you and Tottenham. <laughs> sorry, I, I mistook that big time. They are an incredibly well-run club and they know how to sell players. They know how to sell their players at good prices. Now, I think they got rid of something like 30, 35 players this summer, which including loans and sales, right? And that means that, as you said, they're kind of in a surplus despite spending and bringing in all these great players. Um, it shows just how well run they are, how well run they are and how efficient they are. Like even so 
a lot of comparisons that Arsenal uh, fans are making or a lot of fans are making are that Chelsea and Arsenal were struggling at the same time last year, right? And Chelsea just went, right, Frank Lampard's not the right guy, bang, gone, right, new manager, right? And then they go, right, here's the weakness in the team, bang, addressed it, good, right? Whereas Arsenal take 10 years to change anything. And I think this just shows how well run a club they are and how driven they are. And I think... There's many owners in the Premier League that aren't great owners, but I think Abramovich, look, you can question his morals, where the money's come from, you can question all of that. But as a, a club owner, yeah, as a club owner, he is incredibly efficient and he is very good. He has only given success to that club. He only wants success for that club. And you can see it out on the pitch. And look, the the fact they've brought in Saul, who is an incredible player, and you're not even sure if he's going to fit into the team or where he's going to fit into the team, how often he's going to play, that level of depth they now have in the squad is incredible. And it's kind of, they've gone from last year, obviously winning the Champions League was unexpected, but this year they kind of look like they could almost be amongst the favourites for the Champions League and amongst the favourites from the league within six months. That's incredible. Yeah, it's very well done business. Also, I have to say it here now. I have a big crush for Chelsea's uh, sporting. Is she the sporting director, Marina something? Yeah, they're all obsessed with her. She's very, very good at her job. She's very good at her job. She's very good at her job, and she's just a very good-looking woman. All I can (laughs) say about her, uh, I don't remember her name right now. I believe it's Marina something. It's a Russian name. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Why, Leroy, you're pointing out that... An interesting. So Liverpool didn't really go on the market this summer, and the big news is that Michael Edwards is leaving the club. What does this mean for the Reds and for all of the their supporters, in your opinion? Well, it's interesting because Michael Edwards has been there for a long time, and he has been credited with, for example, he kind of set up for Klopp to come into the club. Um, Klopp wanted Julian Brandt. He really wanted Julian Brandt. And Michael Edwards managed to convince him to go for Salah instead because it would be a better move. And look how that turned out, right? Um, This guy has kind of been credited with building that team. Now, I'm not sure why he's leaving or where he's going, but it's kind of been confirmed that he is leaving. They've appointed someone else in his place who was like his protege or someone he's been training. So maybe it will be a smooth transition and the, the identity will remain the same. But... What he what he did for Liverpool is he's he's turned them from the perennials to world champions, if you know what I mean. He has put in the concrete and the bricks that means that hopefully the next guy can just step in and continue the ID. Look, we'll see how the next guy goes, but for Liverpool fans, I think they were really frustrated in the transfer window that they didn't go out and replace uh, Vijnaldum. I think that right. it, I can kind of understand the frustration there. But I think Jurgen Klopp thinks that he's got enough players and enough young players there that they can maybe just fill the gaps and kind of, again, prepare for the future. So players like Curtis Jones have just got a new contract. Um, and Harvey Elliott, who is a crazy exciting player, he was on loan at Blackburn in the championship last year, absolutely tore it up. 17 years old. He started against Chelsea last weekend. Um, and I think Klopp really sees that he can play within that three and just that the solutions are, are already at the club and they don't need to to spend money needlessly. We know about Liverpool that they only buy, they only buy what they've sold. Right. Um, yeah. And we saw across the summer, it wasn't really a seller's market. So I think I can understand the frustration from Liverpool fans. 
and a little bit of trepidation about when Michael Edwards leaves. But I think honestly, he set he's put in the foundations for Liverpool to kind of keep this level going. Um, I hope because you know I like Klopp, even if I rather Arsenal were more successful than them. I do like seeing Liverpool challenging again. And, and since you said the the infamous A word Arsenal, uh, Rory, the the A word is Arsenal, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't make that pun right, <laughs> but um, since you said the A word, Rory, so Rory yeah. and I have been actually talking off mic about this. So Rory is kind of fed up with some people, <clears throat> Kamal, <clears throat> who are just super pessimistic about the situation at Arsenal. Well, I've been trying. It's not easy, guys, because as soon as you approach Rory talking about Arsenal, he gets all stiff and like uptight and defensive and like you can see blood <laughs> in his eyes. You're like, okay, Rory, wouldn't it be good to have like a very clear-minded, clear-sighted bit in our podcast where we kind of explain what's going on in Arsenal? So you say that people just can't see Arsenal's strategy, and I am one of them. What is Arsenal's strategy, Rory? I'm going to give you two minutes. No, again, listeners, you can decide if this is clear-sighted or just completely deluded. But I think, the, look, there, there are a million problems at Arsenal, as, I, take a as breath, I have said. Take a breath, Rory, take a breath before <laughs> you start. Come on. As I have said a million times, there are a million problems at Arsenal. But I think this transfer window, we can't, complete, we can't compete financially to go out and buy spend $100 million on Grealish. Even if we wanted to, he wouldn't come. So I think the strategy that we've done is we're signing players, young players, who have a high ceiling of potential and who potentially have a great sell-on value, right? This is going to be, I think this is the new direction of the club. I like the, the signings we've made. Um, obviously, time will tell if they're, good, if they're going to be a future Mustafi or if they're going to be a Fabregas, right? Time will tell. But what I like about this is that it's almost regardless of the manager as well. Like, even if Arteta doesn't last the season, the idea of what the team, what they want the team to be is there. Now we'll see if their idea is good or not, but I think we can see that they're trying to instill a kind of philosophy and this doesn't depend on the manager. This depends on the people higher up. Now we can decide who's kind of more competent or not, but I just think like I've seen a lot on Sky Sports of just pundits going, I just can't see the strategy. I can't see it. If you cannot understand the strategy of signing young players in the hope that they'll develop, then I would suggest that analyzing football maybe isn't for you because it's a pretty simple strategy. Ooh, it's, make names. Make names, Rory. We want to no, hear I, the names. Right. Because Gary Neville, I really respect as a pundit. He's the best pundit out there. But when he's on there saying, I don't, I, I don't understand what the ident- what the strategy is at Arsenal, you're just doing that for clicks. You're just doing it for clicks. Because you know what the strategy is. It's to buy young players and develop them. It's not a difficult strategy. And I think it's something that I'm optimistic about. It's the only thing at Arsenal that I'm optimistic about at the moment. You can tell me if that's clear-sighted. I, I don't know. All right. A, a Polish girl once told me that in our podcast, one thing that was lacking was me and Rory disagreeing. So here we go. I'm going to bring okay, it to you. Right. Right so I'm just going to ask you. So spending so 50 million pounds for Ben White, if he becomes a great center back at how much money can you sell him in your opinion how much more than set than 50 million pounds well harry Maguire went for 80 yeah but this thing it's just like so this kind of feeds into what i was thinking you said if arsenal arsenal cannot go for 100 million for jack grealish 
But this is where sometimes I really can't understand English football. Why don't they just pillage absolutely Serie A? The players cost very little. We saw right now that Paratici is at Tottenham. He was Juventus' sporting director for a long time. He was able to get Romero for 35. And in my opinion, I haven't seen much of Ben White, I would say. But I think that Romero for 35 million is a very good deal. Atletico Madrid got Rodrigo de Paul for 30 million. And that is a huge steal. Sometimes, in my opinion, English teams don't look too much outside of the borders. And they should, because with the money that they have, I think, so this is my point, I think that with the money that Arsenal have, which is not a lot, but it's not too little either, if they just looked abroad, Real Madrid have signed Camavinga for 30 million. But there's also a quota, there's going to be a quota on the number of homegrown players that you need when Brexit comes in, right? right? There's going to be a quota on homegrown players, so that is putting a premium on English players. But also, Tommy, we've gone out and done that. We spent 18 million on Tommy Asu from Serie A. We've bought Lukonga from Anderlecht. We've bought like Erdegaard from Real. We've gone out and looked for cheaper players from abroad. That's what we've done. That's exactly what we've done. Yeah, we've not gone and we've not gone and spent 100 million on one player. Now look, Ben White before he joined Arsenal, everyone was saying, "Oh, he's too good for Arsenal." And now he's joined Arsenal, everyone's going, "Why have Arsenal signed him?" So I'm ignoring all the noise around him. All right. Like I think what we've actually done is very good. Like we had so many holes in the team that needed addressing. The only way that we could make a change quickly is doing it this way. Because we needed new midfielders, new defenders, new attacking midfielders. How can you do that if you're not going to spend 300 million? Like, the only way we could do it is the way we've done it, I think. I hope. And, the and, girl. And, and the last thought sorry, the success isn't going to be next year. We're not going to be challenging next year. We're not going to be challenging the year after that. That's fine. But we will be challenging again at some point. I think what a lot of pundits are, they're, they're just assuming that we're just going to challenge straight away. And it's like, this is a long-term project. You keep saying it's a long-term project. So give us the long-term to prove it. Like you can't say one thing and expect instant results. I don't know. I just think is a lot of like hypocrisy going on whilst we are also terrible and bottom of the league and on minus nine goals. I know. Right. Okay. Okay. Rory, don't, don't explode. I hope the Polish girl is happy. By the way, I've never met this Polish girl in my life. We matched on Bumble at some point and uh, she was like, what do you do? I was like, I don't know. I teach. And then I have a podcast. She was like, can I listen to it? I love football. And I sent her one episode and she was just like, "Eh, I feel like you guys don't disagree enough. So there, if you're still listening, I hope you're happy. It's good to see you got over that. It's good to see you got over that criticism, Tommy. It's not stuck (laughs) with you for for months. It was only in November last year. <laughs> it so was okay. It's fine. Not bad. Not bad. Right. <laughs> it's fine. But so we started talking a bit about the Serie A. In Serie A, there were a bunch of last-minute transfer market hits. Talking about the Zaccagni to Lazio for 10 million euros. That was a steal. Cop miners to Atalanta. Guys, now I'm very excited about this player. I'm going to push at the fantasy football auction next Wednesday to try and get him, I think is going to perfectly fit in the Atalanta team. Junior Messias, Crotone legend from last season, signed with AC Milan together with Bakayoko at the very last transfer day. And then Fiorentina making statements all of a sudden. They've signed Torreira, Odriozola, and Gonzalez all together. 
and Keita Balde to Cagliari. So these are the last moves in the Italian transfer window. And I think that Inter Milan, looking in my own backyard, I think Inter Milan did pretty well. So given that Lukaku and Akimi left, we kind of got a great replacement for Akimi for only 15 million euros. We got Zeko uh, for 2 million euros, and that's great too. But I think that the problem is that we didn't go for a goalkeeper. So it's as if, it's as if, Everybody knew that that had to be the priority for Inter Milan going into the next season. But then all these things happened, smoke in the eyes, people forget, Dumfries here, Zeko there, Correa there, and then the transfer market is over and you're like, holy shit, we still have Andanovic. Now, mad respect for Andanovic. He's our captain. He's always stuck with the team. He's saved our ass in a bunch of situations in the past. He's a hardcore professional. He won a title finally last year with Inter, his first title of his professional career. Mm-hmm. I'm super happy for him. But Samir, eh, we all know that you're a little old. And sometimes you don't dive, which is what goalkeepers should be doing. So I'm kind of worried about that. Atalanta got Musso from Udinese after they sold Golini. Musso was a big name for Inter Milan. There are already talks about Inter Milan having a pre-agreement with Ajax's Onana which I think would be a very good signing. Possibly the best cheapish signing that we could do next next year. What do you reckon, Rory? Yeah, I really rate Onana. I really rate him. I was always surprised that he wasn't uh, bought from Ajax sooner. Obviously, the fact that he's on a drugs ban at the moment is a little bit of a like asterisk and cloud over him. Hero, um, absolute hero. <laughs> it was it, it was like the classic excuse of like, oh, I took my wife's medicine. And nobody will ever know how true that is. But I think um, the price is, I think is like 6 million. And for that price, it's definitely, definitely worth every penny. It could be an absolute bargain. And yeah, I was just surprised he wasn't bought from Ajax sooner. So, but look, I, I said to you before we recorded, do you think it's going to be like halfway through the season, you're going to look back and go, ah, oh, crap, we really should have replaced our keeper? I, I've already gone like that <laughs> during our second okay. game <laughs> against two Verona. Games in. Two games in. The, the goal that Verona scored was Antanovic's mistake. So two mm. games in, I was already like, God damn it, guys, the goalkeeper. But our sporting director, Marotta, is somebody who knows his job very mm. fucking well. I trust him. I trust him 100% that we will sign Onana and I'm crossing my fingers as I say that. But moving away from Italy, where Juventus only signed the Locatelli. <laughs> no, and Caio Jorge, Caio Jorge. He's already, he's already broken. He's already injured. Well, then there is the return of Moise Kane. But also, man, Morata, I was looking into, this would be for another pod. We don't have enough time. I was looking at the price tag that they're paying for Morata from Atletico. <laughs> That is big. There have been. There <laughs> have been pro- robbing everyone at the moment. Atletico are taking everyone's and money. Th- that's where I was going. But just to wrap <laughs> up, Juventus. There have been uh, ultras protesting outside of the Juventus stadium against the uh, Andrea Agnelli and uh, against the overall management of the team and the stadium. Juventus fans being aware of the fact that they play in a very shitty stadium without atmosphere, and they said something like, in every other stadium, there are chants and tifos, 
and in our something like in our stadium there are only champagne glasses something like that uh, it's very um, eventous it doesn't take them much to start moaning does it it doesn't take them long no not at all not at all good job Ronaldo. <laughs> the best decision of your life but the last point that we wanted to cover before quickly going into international football was atletico madrid single handedly destroying barcelona so rory do you want to go for oh. this one do you just want to like summarize what they've done over the past two years to barcelona i saw this explained on on twitter and it was a great it was with that picture of simeone you know where he points at his crotch when they let's go and score uh so what do they do they sold griezmann to barcelona for 120 million then took suarez off them for free then won the league and I've now taken Griezmann off them again on loan for and only have to pay of the price. million. <laughs> yeah, for, for one third of the price that they sold him for. Oh my God. And if they'd have held on, if they'd have done this Griezmann move sooner, maybe Barca could have kept hold of Messi. Like it is so horrifically bad how they, how honestly it's like if someone said to you purposefully, ruin Barcelona you could not do it this well like how badly that club has been run is incredible and Atletico I'm so glad it's Atletico that are taking advantage of it not Real it's Atletico that are being cutthroat and being like right they're on the floor go for the killer blow take their best player right what else can we do like I feel like honestly Atletico to retain the league this year I think they're coming for it Let's go. You know that our pod is Rocky Blanco. But I just want to say this thing. It's very interesting how both Real Madrid and Barcelona had the two greatest players in the world, Ronaldo and Messi. Atletico Madrid didn't have... They've had prolific strikers, Mm -hmm. but never that player. And that's the thing that, in my opinion has meant their success last year because it comes a moment when you have to get rid of that player. Guess what? Real Madrid got rid of that player at the best time possible. They didn't oppose to it. They were just like, you want to go? Is that all right? Just just go, go. And that was the right time. That was peak Ronaldo. It was that cra- crazy summer. Ronaldo to Juventus, LeBron James to the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> we all remember that. Yeah. But that was the right time. And Real Madrid right now, who are also in not the greatest financial situation ever, they're looking at Barcelona and being like, oh my God, they're going through what we went through years ago, except mm-hmm. in a way worse way. Way, way worse. way And now, worse. right now, man, this Messi thing, like Messi's gone. And for the first time since 2004, there is no Messi in their attack. They've gone from Messi, Suarez, Neymar to Braithwaite, De Jong and Memphis, which... It's not terrible, but again, uh, I think... It's hardly inspiring, is it? And I think the weird thing about the Griezmann move as well is even before he went to Barcelona, everyone was like, well, that's not going to work. He's not going to play. Barcelona don't need him. He's not going to work in that system. And guess what? It didn't work, and they paid him far too much, and now he's going back. It's just the whole thing is a complete mess. And I think... I just love that it's Atletico that are dealing the dealing the killer blow and just taking the piss by taking Griezmann back. It's incredible. Go Rocky Blanco. But guys, this was it for the transfer window. We're going to quickly jump to international football where Ronaldo broke the scoring record for an international player last night, scoring a brace against Rory's Ireland. <laughs> Rory, 
comments on that one, please. Um, Ireland was so close to getting the result. They played so well. And then Ronaldo was just Ronaldo. Two incredible goals. I think he's like possibly the best header of the ball on the planet at the moment. Um, But he shouldn't have been on the pitch because he should have been sent off uh, for slapping the Irish player, even if the Irish player did make a meal of it. And the the referee, like I, I don't think I complain about referees too much on this podcast, but the referee was honestly looking at Ronaldo and following him around like he wanted his shirt at the end of the game. It was a little bit embarrassing. So I think the referee wanted to be the referee on the night that Ronaldo broke the scoring record. And he was. Um, 111 goals at international level is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and the only he, the only thing yeah. the only thing that made me uncomfortable is that it's Ronaldo, and obviously all of the stories that are out at the moment about him makes everything quite tinged. Um, but still, an incredible record nonetheless. Good job, Cristiano. In other news, Kazakhstan, because Rory has many nationalities. At times he supports England, at times Italy, <laughs> at times Ireland, at times Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan drew to Ukraine last night, 2-2. They went down twice and then equalized at the 93rd minute, I believe, which is pretty big. Yeah, it's huge. For Kazakhstan, that's incredible. Like, they do not get many points. They do not get many wins at all. And Ukraine, look, Ukraine are definitely prone to the odd slip-up. Um, and by all accounts, Ukraine should have been 6 or 7 nil up without, except the, the Kazakhstan goalkeeper was A, ridiculously lucky and had the game of his life. But Ukraine scored a winner in the 92nd, and I think Kazakhstan got an equaliser in the 92nd and 30. It was an instant reply and great. Always happy to see Kazakhstan get a point. Like, yes, come on, Eagles. And talking about other teams that Rory supports, we're recording on a Thursday, as you guys know. And tonight, Italy are going to be chasing that record of 34 games unbeaten. They would match Spain and Brazil, the only teams to have ever done it in their history. They are facing Bulgaria. They've got nine points in three games Bulgaria have got only one in three. If then on Sunday, if Italy either win or draw this game, and they either win or draw the game on Sunday against Switzerland, that means that it would be the longest unbeaten streak for a national team in world football. Roberto Mancini, I'm crossing my fingers. As you guys know, we share a hometown, but also it would be great after missing out on a World Cup to just like create this football team that won the Euros against England, in case you guys didn't remember. And uh, and now he's challenging for the longest unbeaten streak of all time. So pretty exciting. But also tonight, Hungary versus England. Now, Hungary are no mugs. We've seen it in the European Championship. They've got seven points in three games. England have won them all. Rory, are you going to win this one too? I think it's going to be a really tough game. I think it's probably going to be a draw. I think we saw Hungary take France. We saw them put up a pretty good fight against Germany and put up a really good fight against Portugal until they kind of late collapse. I think we've seen how difficult they are and that stadium is going to be rocking and full capacity, no masks, COVID doesn't exist. So it's going to be a crazy, crazy atmosphere. I think it's going to be a tough game for England. The headline is that now Grealish is at Man City. He he suddenly starts. It's ridiculous. He did not start a game in the Euros. He moved to City and now he starts. It's mental, but I think we'll get a draw. 
And we're going to cover more international football next week when we will have more results in our hands. But remember that on Sunday, there is also a big South American classic in Brazil versus Argentina. Of course, all of these games are valuable for the qualification to the 2022 Qatar World Cup. This podcast is still against that World Cup, but many Instagram and Twitter accounts who were very against the Super League and brought up also the Qatar World Cup seem to have forgotten about it. We are still standing against it. Um, We'll see if we'll cover it or not come next year. Have you changed your thoughts about that one? Uh, no, not even slightly. I'm still at odds with um, how we're going to deal with that one. And there was news today that they're going to make World Cups every two years, which I, for someone who hates loves football, I really hate that idea. Um, yeah, it's too much, right? It's just overplaying, overplaying. But if we're at the end, are we are we at the end of the Euro review? Is that the end of it the looks, Euro review? Oh my god, Rory is so high on his vaccine. It's not even funny. I can see his his eyes are dilated. He's talking nonsense. <laughs> I think we're at re- the end. This is an opportunity to say that we are, of course, the Euro review sponsored by Sports Club Maps. Guys, mm. please do go out and check their stuff. The sale was last week. You missed it, but go to their website. Perfect for Christmas, presents, birthdays, whatever. Go and check out their stuff. It is incredible. Sportsclubmaps.co.uk. Of course, you can find them also on Twitter and Instagram. They've got mugs. They've got mouse pads. They've got posters. They've got notebooks. They've got agendas with maps of specific countries and the most important sports teams in that nation so go to their website they're our official sponsors starting from this year but rory i think it's finally time for the big interview are you excited any any spoiler alerts before we go into it i'm so excited so many names that i did not expect to come up popped up in this interview and i was excited by every single one so ladies and gentlemen our customary theme sound for the weekly topic. This time, we are joined by legendary hat-trick scorer, Eamon Zayed. Born in Dublin in the fall of 1983, ever since taking his first steps on a football pitch, his talent and the rightfully earned pedigree of a relentless number nine have taken our guest across the windswept pitches of Ireland, the beer-filled stadiums of England, the electric atmospheres of top-flight Iranian football, the faraway shores of Malaysia, and eventually he has landed on the exciting and fast-growing stage of Northern American football. Following a Lewandowski-worthy performance in the Tehran Derby in 2012, he was voted World Footballer of the Week by online magazine Goal.com. Yet, that was only one of the instances in which he made the scoring a hat-trick look like a stroll in the park. Ladies and gentlemen, the Anglican pod is delighted and thrilled to welcome League of Ireland and League of Ireland Cup winner, and current manager of Newborn Side, Northern Colorado Hailstorm, drumroll, ooh, Eamon Zayed. Welcome, Eamon. Cheers. That's quite the introduction. That was impressive. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Hey, I worked on it all day yesterday. Yeah, and also, <laughs> Rory's here with us today. How are you doing, Rory? Uh, I'm good. Thank you. Yes, I am here. <laughs> present, present and correct. Good. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on the pod. Eamon, how are you doing? You're in Colorado right now, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. Firstly, cheers for having me on. Um, secondly, yeah, I'm in Colorado. Absolutely beautiful, stunning up here. Um, so, uh, yeah, the weather's gorgeous. Can't complain. I've been here about probably one to two months now. Um, so, yeah, so loving life at the moment. And uh, it's it's really exciting what we're trying to do up here, you know. As long as it's not winter, Colorado is a great place to be. But we are going to start uh, our interview with a bit of uh, history of your career, how you started in the world of football. And then, of course, we are going to look at your pro career and that your big move to the United States and the very exciting project that you're working on right now. Being my co-host, half Irish, I assume that the history starts in Dublin. And so, Rory, I would like to go with the first questions. Beautiful. So, yeah. Yeah, of course, you started your career in Ireland, but I saw at first you were in the Leicester Youth, uh, the Youth Academy. Is that right? Before getting a move to Bray Wanderers. Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah, um, and actually, strangely enough, I know we were talking before uh, before I jumped on. I actually, when I was 16 years of age, um, I actually turned down a contract to sign for Arsenal. Um, I got offered a three-year deal in Arsenal. Liam Brady was was head of uh, the academy there and, and and I went over for about four weeks during the summer. Um and it was literally the year the year before I finished school, before I finished secondary school. Um oh. and uh, and I went over. I had an unbelievable summer. I mean I was playing in I was playing in I remember the team like you know I was playing up front with um David Bentley. Oh wow! Now he's a character, right? That guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the t- honestly, the team was filled with stars. Mm-hmm. He went on and and Justin Hoyt, um, Steve Sidwell, uh, Ron Ricketts. Um, oh wow! Graeme stacking goals. Um, Jermaine Pennant. It was like it was filled with like with 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 players that went on and had unbelievable careers. And and I was playing up top with David Bentley in a couple of games. Um, actually, decent little partnership that was because after after a few games, they offered me a contract. Um, wow. And I, I ended up turning it down because I had one year left in school. And I'll be honest, I was there for four weeks. I was the homesick. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was always something that I kind of looked back on and said, like, kind of like, what if? Because as I said, that team was full of stars that went on and, and some of them made it quite big. But but look, the year later, I went over to Leicester City. I got my kind of second opportunity mm-hmm. to sign a, a contract over in England. And and I went over there as a young kid, full of dreams. Um And uh, it just obviously didn't work out. I ended up only being over there for for um, for a couple of years before I came back to Bray Wonders. And that, well, I just wanted to quickly go back. Like, obviously, Liam Brady is like a giant in the history of Irish football. How was that at such a young age to be like around someone of that stature? And like, you were of course aware of how big a player he was for Ireland, right? Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Um, I mean, look, it was. Obviously, that was that was exciting and intimidating at the same time. And I remember, mm-hmm. like again, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a young 16 year old going over to such a big club, and um, it was great. The Arsenal setup was you train in the morning, um, and then you'd obviously go in and have lunch, um, and maybe go out and train again depending on the schedule. But everybody had lunch together, so I remember, like you know, you're sitting at tables, and next to you is Ashley Cole, and I think Martin Keown was there, and Tony Adams, and I remember even at one stage, um. Arsene Wenger pulled everybody in for a chat. Um, and I, I don't know how I ended up in the room, but <laughs> I'm in there and, and, and I can't even remember what he was talking about. But um, And I should because it's Arsene Wenger. <laughs> but, um, but no, it was, it was mad. Like, you know, you, you were just surrounded by absolute yeah. superstars. Um, so, uh, 
yeah, that was mind blowing. And and I honestly feel like it, it it really brought out probably the best in me in terms of my football. The one thing I, I remember in training, um, and there's a big focus on it in in, in this is preseason in the summer. They they really the coaches really gave you like the freedom, and they wanted you to 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 showcase your you know your raw talent mm-hmm. and your freedom of play. Um, and and I felt like in, in every kind of session that we done in training, and um, and I felt I don't know, it just brought out the best of me, and I had a really good four weeks there, and yeah, what a yeah, great experience. Yeah, and talking about, I wanted to ask you. So you were at Leicester City first at Arsenal. You listeners should have looked at Rory's face while <laughs> was talking about meeting Arsene Wenger. But I wanted to ask you, what was your feeling at Leicester? Because here at the pod, we love the the story of the rise of the foxes how they won the title they won the fa last year um so did you have the impression that it was an extremely well-run club was it before uh they actually became they started becoming the last year that they are now what were your overall feelings yeah um when i look back on it like it was a it was a well-run club in terms of the infrastructure and the training facilities and, and everything like that um But they were going through a kind of a weird period. This was back in early, uh, I can't even get my dates right. It was early 2000, 2003, somewhere mm-hmm. around that time. And Martin O'Neill had been the coach and he had done really well with them. They they they'd done well in the Premier League. And I think he even, I know he got to a cup final. They might have even won an FA Cup um, under him. But but they had they had some good players. Muzzy Izzet, Robbie Savage. Um, like they had Neil some, Lennon, maybe? Neil Lennon. Yeah, 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 that's right. I mean, they had some good players. Um But when I went there, Martin O'Neill had just left and um, Peter Taylor what it was who actually was in charge at the time. And it, like it was his assistant coach who came over to Ireland and saw me playing, which is unusual because usually it's an academy scout or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and he was really impressed. So when I went over to Leicester, I went straight into the reserve team. You know, as a 17-year-old, I, I kind of I, I skipped you under 17s, 18s, 19s. I went straight into the reserve team and and uh, and, and they they really liked me. Um And, and I was enjoying it. Um, and then three months later, um, Leicester City were bottom of the Premiership and they sacked Peter Taylor. And in comes Dave Bassett and um, Mickey Adams. And I mean, you know, in football, like if you want to make it big, you, you, obviously you, you need talent, but you really do need a bit of luck. And you need a mm-hmm. manager and coach who, who honestly, the most important thing is somebody who believes in you. Um, and who sees, who likes you as a player. And um, uh, from day one, I just, um, I guess this is what, I'm 17, turning 18. Um, I was training with the first team, and I remember I fell out with, with Mickey Adams, who was honestly not a great person. Um, you know, a bit of a wanker, if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, he, he really was. Like, um, you know, I remember, like, as an 18-year-old, we're playing a five-a-side, kind of, you know, um, Uh, I think it was the weather wasn't great. We were playing indoors and we were playing like a five-a-side and you had to hit something behind the goal. Um, you know, and it was like whoever hits it, one team on, one team off. So I hit this behind the goal and Mickey Adams, um, who uh, who was, he was relatively young. So he was actually, he was getting involved in training, which funny mm-hmm. enough, a lot of coaches actually in in in, in the premiership, like what I did. Went over to Newcastle and Graham Sionis was was involved in training, and um, I went over to Everton and Dave Moyes was involved. Like they like they they enjoy obviously they're ex players they like playing. Yeah. Um, anyway, Mickey Adams was playing and and I sc- I hit this thing behind a goal and he's like no goal and I'm like all right I didn't say anything. I mean I, I hit it. We ha- it was like a, it was like an object behind the goal that you had to hit because it was five right. or seven indoor no goalkeeper. Um, 
Anyway, I went up and hit the thing again, and he said, no goal. And, you know, as an 18-year-old, he should have just shut up. I was like, what the fuck do you mean it was no goal? I mean, and I start, like, obviously, you know, heated a moment, you're in training, you want to win because you have that competitive nature. And um, and he looked at me, didn't say anything. Um, and, and a few minutes later, they, his team go up and, and score a goal. And um, and he turns around to me and he says, that's how you score an effing goal. And he had a bag of balls and he started kicking the balls at me. And I'm only in it, like a young 18-year-old. And he starts kicking the balls at me one by one. And he says, you, get the fuck out of here. And, and uh, honestly, that was, when I look back on it, I mean, that was, honestly, it was the start of the end. Um, mm-hmm. Because, like, I... Uh, he, I never, I didn't train with the first team much after that. Um, always felt I was walking on eggshells around them because I didn't know how to react. He's the first team coach, um, and I just didn't enjoy it. And a year and a half later, um, or a year later, Leicester City actually got relegated, and this was right before big big TV money came into England. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I remember all the the first team and the junior pros because I was a junior pro at the time got called into a room and they said, listen. You can, anybody can leave if they want. Doesn't matter how big, small you are. You can leave because financially we're, we're we're accepting bids for anybody. Um, and I got I got in touch with my agent. Well, it wasn't somebody got somebody reached out to me from Ireland. who was a coach um, of a team back in Ireland. He was also an agent, and he said, "Amen, listen, c- come home. Like get out of there. Mm-hmm. Come home. I'll I'll negotiate some kind of settlement on on your remaining two years there, and just get out of there." Um, and and see that's you know I wanted to do that I just wanted to get out of there because I just felt I just felt obviously unwanted and I was mm-hmm. young and I kind of disillusioned and I just wanted to go home and and play football again with my friends you know it's it's mad how like if someone can just take a, an instant disliking to you then that's it you're done like if you know what I mean it seems like and I, obviously it happens in plenty of jobs but how like when you're eighteen how did you deal with that did you take it personally or were you just like oh it's that guy. I'll be fine. I'll find somewhere else. No, honestly, like if, if that had happened, you know, obviously, you know, in my mid to late twenties or, you know, whatever I would have dealt with it. But at the time I'm 18 years of age and, you know, I'm playing for a big premiership club and, and he's, you know, he's, he's a, I wouldn't say he's a big coach, but he's a coach of a premier league team. And no, I, I was disillusioned and I was, I didn't know how to react. Honestly, I didn't, um, as an 18 year old, I, I didn't really deal with it to be honest. Um, I was more like the, I probably, you know, I, I had the attitude like, you know, like, fuck you. Like, if you don't like me, well, then whatever. I don't like you kind of thing. Um, and, and that was that. Instead of dealing with it in a better way. And, um, you know, I had, I mean, I can look back and I had, I mean, I had a couple of issues with coaches um, probably from, you know, in my early 20s, let's say, or, you know, I went over to Norway for a short spell and I had an issue with a coach there and, you know, as a player, like I should have dealt with with these situations better. Um, but look, as an eighteen year old, you don't know any better. You're just a young kid. Um, you know, and 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 he's the he's the the adult and and he's the head coach. And I'd never treat a young player like that ever, ever. Not a chat, not in a million years. Even if he pissed me off so much, I still would not. Um, because that's just not the way you treat anybody, let alone mm. eighteen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, right now you're a manager. We'll talk about that later. So you're going to have to deal with 18-year-olds <laughs> who might who might get a little bit offended. Um, yeah. Make sure that if they hit the object behind the goal, you just say, hit, that's yeah, the goal. <laughs> that's it. But so we, we, we kind of have gotten to your start in the League of Ireland. And we wanted to ask you, 
how was the League of Ireland when you started out in terms of level and facilities? And how do you think it has changed to now? Yeah, it's changed massively. So when I got into the League of Ireland, it was full of talented players. Like, I mean, really, really, like they were like just some really talented players. Um, and this was kind of like, you know, um, in Ireland, we had the Celtic Tiger and financially there was money flowing around the economy and, and teams had money to pay players. So um, facilities were okay. Um, you know, they're much, much better now, but they were okay. Um, crowds weren't bad. Um, I guess... I guess it was full of talented players, but, you know, back then it was kind of old school mentality in terms of, so there was not, strength and conditioning wasn't obviously massive. Um, players would still, you know, go out on the piss for a few drinks straight after the game and continue on for the rest of the weekend. Um, so that kind of professional mentality wasn't there, but there was some super talented players. Um, and it was really, it was a good league. It was a great league to be a part of. Um, and I loved it. I was back playing with, with some of the lads that I grew up playing with for, for underage teams. Um, I was near my family as well. So, I mean, I just, I, I was playing with a smile on my face, which was the most important thing because that just enabled me to just play even better. Um, but, but it was, it was, so I, I, from, I'd say from, from 2003 to, uh, I guess, 2011, 2012, um, I think the standard was really good. It was some really excellent players. Um, and then, uh, again, kind of hand in hand with, I guess, the recession um, in Ireland. Um, you know, it trickled from 2010 onwards. But I'd say 2012 to maybe 2000, and for a few years anyway, the 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 standard in the league wasn't great um, back in Ireland. It just wasn't great. Um, mm. You know, the better players were leaving, um, going to England or Scotland or wherever they were going, um, and and it wasn't any money to pay to pay these players to try and keep them. You know, but but one thing that allowed was there was a a, a bigger emphasis on younger players, um, and and clubs trying to get, I guess, trying to you know get get the academies up and running, which they have done um, in Ireland, um, and um, and 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 there was a more emphasis on on the coaching side of things, and then the strength and conditioning side of things came on board as well. And I would say, you know, then after those few years from 2012 to whatever 2015, 2016, um, again it picked up a lot. Uh, in Ireland, and there's some really good. Um, w- when I started, there was an emphasis on those like older players, really good old. And when I say older, I mean like you know, anywhere from from 26 to to 35. Whereas now in Ireland, there's really good, talented young players. I mean, really good young players, and and it's also seen as um, as a league where, where, especially with the academy, there's an under 15, 17, 19 academy structure in Ireland as well now. And I feel like it's also. Uh, looked at as a platform for younger players to say, Do you know what, I don't need to go to England when I'm 16, 17, um, 18. I can stay and mm. I can try and get first-team football uh, with a team in Ireland and, and then make it um, and then make that jump when I'm ready and when, when I'm more mature. And, uh, and I mean, it proves in the pudding. There's you know numerous players that have gone on that had good careers, whether it's um, James McLean, Ennis Stevens, um, Wes Houlihan, um I mean, oh, there's, there's plenty. Shane Long, mm-hmm. Doyle. I mean, there's loads and loads of players who have gone on from the League of Ireland um, at a later age. Um, so, so now, yeah, as I said, over the last few years, five years, um, Stephen Kenny went into Dundalk, transformed that club. Shamrock Rovers with Stephen Bradley and, and the infrastructure that they have, um, especially with the academy teams. It, it, League of Ireland's in a great place right now. 
and, and now and it's seen even in some European results and some of the teams making European qualifying competitions, group stages. It's uh, it, it's definitely it's at a very good good point now. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you said that, and I'm glad you brought up Dundalk. That's actually my mum's hometown team, so I always keep an keep an eye out for them. Um, but I did notice one of the first hat tricks in your career for Bray Wanderers actually came against Dundalk, and it broke the record of the quickest hat trick for a Bray Wanderers player between the seventh and the fifteenth minute. Now I was looking at your scoring record, so in 105 games you scored 54 goals for Bray Wanderers. How did that feel being so young and your first, like, you finally got an opportunity in football and you're scoring basically every other game? How did that feel? Uh, look, it felt great. But, like, when I think about my time in Bray Wanderers, um, and this is the biggest thing, like, I think, I think you know, when, when a player is happy um, and they feel at home, it doesn't actually have to be their home, but they feel mm. at home at a club or, you know, or a different country or city, perhaps, um, they play their best football and, like when I was at Bray Wanderers, I was playing with like guys who I grew up with. Some of the guys in the team were guys I grew up with, but it was a great group of guys. And uh, you know, my family got to watch me. My mom was there every game and cheer me on. And um, it was just, it wasn't, it, it never. Do you know what? It never felt like a job. It just felt like I was going out having fun playing football with my friends. And and that's how at times. I mean, obviously, football is a job if you're a fully paid professional player. But at the at the at the same time, it's. Obviously, you want to win. It's a game. So when you play on on on, on a Saturday, Friday night, whatever the case is, for ninety minutes, mm-hmm. like, it's a game. Have fun, go out, enjoy it, and that's what it was. Um, and and because of that, I was I was so loose, especially in front of goal and composed. And yeah, I mean, that's you know, I had I guess I had a decent record at Bray, you know. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's not a bad record at all. Now. After Bray, before we go to your stint in Iran, where I discovered you was when you came on loan for a brief stint at Crew Alexandra. Mm-hmm. Now I was very excited because it was an Irish league, it was an Irish striker coming over to Crew. Obviously, as I've said, and as the listeners are aware, my mum was Irish. I was quite excited. Now we don't have to spend too long in it, but what happened there? Because it was a very short stint, and then you just went. Uh, oh yeah. So very briefly, like so that was. Do you know what? That was a move that I regret, um, and I'll tell you why. I just finished the Irish Under-20 World Cup. Um, I was with the Irish team. We were playing out in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also got called into the Irish Under-21s, and because of that, there was interest. There was interest from clubs over in England, um, and I was still contracted to Bray Wanderers. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I, 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 Everton were interested, so I went over and trained with Everton for the week. Um, ha- had a really good week, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I did. I played well, and straight after that, this was already scheduled. I was going there for the week, and then I was going up to Crew Alexandra for the week. So when I went up to Crew Alexandra again, I had a good week, and I remember at the end of that week, David Moyes rang my, um, I think it was my coach at Bray Wanderers at the time, and he said, "Look, what's going on with Eamon? How did he get on Crew? We like him." And um, and my coach said, "Look, he's got on really well at Crew. They want to offer him a deal." And he said, mm-hmm. "Look, I'll be honest. I mean, uh, you know, I, if we bring Eamon into Everton, like he's obviously not going to get in. He's not going to break through to the first team right now. Um, I would suggest for him, he go to Crew Alexandra. It's probably a better move for him, um, and he he'll get he'll get game time. So, um, but we'll keep an eye on him. So, um, Crew Alexandra, they 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 wanted to sign me. Um, I think they wanted to sign me on a on an eighteen month or two and a half year deal. But Bray Wanderers would only allow me go out on loan because they were hoping right. that I'd go out to Crew, play really well, and then they could sell me on. So anyway, I went to Crew. It was a six month uh, loan move, and um, I went in thinking that I was obviously going to get some game time. Um, Dario Grady was the coach. Um, again, it comes down to it was actually the assistant coach who 
who really liked me and probably made the transfer happen. Because when I got in there, Dario Grady, he just never, he never, he didn't like me from day one. He didn't like me. I, right. I he's a, it, it's fairly known that he's a difficult character. He was, it was fairly well known. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and I could just tell, I mean, I could tell he didn't like me as a, as a person or as right. a, um, and I felt, uh, you know, they were in a championship at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, in fairness, they had Dean Ashton playing up front, who was, honestly, he was so good. Like, he was uh, he was so good. Like, really yeah. good. And obviously, he went on and got a move the following year to, to West Ham. But, um, you know, I knew I wasn't going to get in ahead of him. But I thought that I could still get some game time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I didn't. Like, I, I, I didn't. I didn't. I was on the bench, and I never made one appearance for them. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That um and then six months later that was that was that um and again it was just that was really disappointing when I think about it because I was at a point in my career where um there was uh, I remember there was two guys same age as me Kevin Doyle who was in that under twenty squad got over to Reading and yeah, yeah. um Stephen Ward got over to Wolves I think or Sunderland um mm-hmm. those players who are getting moves and I felt I was at that time I was I was doing better things than them. I was scoring more goals mm-hmm. than them and I was playing better than them and. It, that was just a bad move and it didn't work out. It, it didn't work out at all. And that, that, that brought me back because that was my, a big opportunity to get over to England. Right. So you've, you've had a very interesting career and we still have a lot of ground to cover, but in your time in Ireland, after coming back from uh, Crew Alexandra, you played for Drogheda United, the Sporting mm-hmm. Fingal and Derry City. And there you won a League of Ireland with Drogheda United and the League of Ireland Cup with Derry City. Very quickly, what memories do you have about these great accomplishments? And I always think, you know, to be Irish in this case and to win the League of Ireland and the League of Ireland Cup, was it a particularly particularly satisfactory feeling for you? Yeah, it was. Great memories. So, so um, Drogheda United, um, I had a great time there, but that that felt like, especially with the coach at the time, a guy called Paul Doolan, that felt like a job. And he would actually hammer it home in training, like, this is a job, you're getting paid for this. So I was there for two and a half years. We won a league title, which was great. It was the first league title for Drogheda. Um, and we had a really good team, the best team in Ireland. Um, you know, it was a really good team, really good squad. Um, I got to represent them in Europe, and um, from a professional standpoint, it was it was a good time. Um, but you know, there was moments where I didn't enjoy it. Um, obviously, you enjoy when you're winning, but there's moments where I didn't enjoy it. Just you know, because of the I guess the atmosphere that the coach created. Um, but again, successful time, loved it. Great, great fan base, great people in Drogheda. Um, Derry City was probably my favourite year, um, mm. you know, because I was playing with what I what I believe is the best best manager I've ever played with, um, a guy called Stephen Kenny, who's obviously the, the Irish national team manager right now. Um, nice. And, you know, it was just a year where I guess everything came together in terms of just me as a, as a, um, as a player, uh, as an individual. Mm. Um, I loved it. I mean, I loved, I loved the city. Derry City is a great. It's a working class city. Great people. Obviously, there's a lot of history there. Where, um, you know, because I guess Derry's technically part of part of the UK. But, mm-hmm. um, but now great people, um, great team. I mean, there's some great players playing in that team as well. And Stephen Kenny as a coach, just he 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 gave you the freedom to go out and play and express yourself, especially as an attacking player. Um, so 
that was my favourite year when I look back playing in Ireland, playing with Derry City. And you asked me about, you know, I guess achievements. Yeah, that was when I went to Derry City. There was a couple of things that I wanted to do. Um, one, I wanted to prove that I, I wanted to be top goal scorer in the league. You know, um, it, it was an individual award, but I had never mm-hmm. won it. I'd score goals, but I'd never won it. So I wanted that. Um, and, and I got that at Derry City. There was a league cup that I'd won every other title um, in Ireland and individual award prior to that year, except for the league cup player of the year and top goal scorer. And I got that at Derry City. They were the three. I know two of them were individual, but I, I wanted them. Um, it, was, it wasn't to say, look at me, I'm great. It was just to um, chip on my shoulder, prove people mm-hmm. wrong. Um, and then the league cup was uh, was was obviously the the FAI Cup is the bigger cup, which I won with Smart and Fingal, but the League Cup is still the one that I just hadn't won yet. So yeah. I completed everything. So when 2011 finished in Derry, I had won everything I wanted to do in Ireland. And that allowed me, from a mental standpoint, move on. That's incredible. I think because sometimes people say, like, like you said, football's not an individual sport. And sometimes they look down on like people who chase individual awards. But it's still, as with anything, it's important to have personal targets that you want to meet and you want to you want to reach. Right. But I want uh, sorry, I wanted to quickly go back very quickly to Stephen Kenny, because Mm -hmm. he's obviously getting a lot of pressure with Ireland at the moment. And of course, he did an incredible job at Dundalk. How good a manager do you like is this guy? I can see what he's trying to do. Do you think he'll get there with Ireland? He will if he's given time, which I, I believe mm. he will be. Um, Stephen Kenny, as I said, he's the best manager I've ever played with. And I played with, like, you know, um, a couple of decent international managers at Li- with the Libyan national team. I played with, um, you know, obviously a, a, one of the most famous Turkish managers over in Iran um, and, and other managers around the world. But um, he has the ability to... Um, he's a great man manager and he's the ability to bring out the best in his players mm-hmm. to see the best in them and then bring it out. And that that's a trait that not all managers have. Um, I think Steven is, um, you know, he, he, he's not the best coach, mm-hmm. you know, but he, you know, in terms of on the field training, but his, 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 uh, his knowledge of the game, his analysis, his tactical know-how. I mean, it's, it's spot on. I mean, he's, he's as good as anybody. Um, but it's, it's really the ability to, to bring out the best in the players and, you know, obviously as a leader and as a manager, you you have an idea and you need to you need your team to buy into it. Um, you know, and he done that at Dundalk, absolutely one hundred percent everybody bought brought bought into it and he became the most successful manager ever in, in Ireland. Um, you know, I think with the Irish national team, he's he's probably going through a bit of an odd phase because it's probably at the moment, it's probably the weakest in my generation mm-hmm. is a set of players, you know, and, and that's for numerous reasons that are available to him. But but we have some really good, talented young players. And Stephen is unbelievable with young players and bringing out the best in young players and giving them that confidence. And um, it's going it, to, it, I have no doubt that, you know, in a few years, if, if he's given time, which I hope mm-hmm. he will, um, and, and, and some of these younger players mature, I think, I, I think it, it's going to be really, really good for the nation and really exciting. I hope so. so. I hope so. There was encouraging signs against Portugal last night anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the goalkeeper's 19. The centre-back made his debut is 19. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, really, really encouraging signs. And I would just encourage Irish fans not to really look at the results right now because um, that's just the phase that we're in. But trust trust the process, um, especially the underage process and in Stephen mm-hmm. Kenny. And in a couple of years, you will absolutely see the benefits. 
So after Dairy City, you made a big, big move away from the old continent and you went all the way to Iran. And we were just talking about managers, but also personal accomplishments. And we have to mention this name because he was his record was overtaken last night in the game against Ireland by Cristiano Ronaldo. You were coached when you played for Persepolis by Ali Day. Is that correct? No, no, that's not no. correct. Ali Dai is a club legend. Um, and, oh, Wikipedia and, and, lied! Damn it! Yeah, no, Ali Dai was the. Um, God the damn it! He, he, at he, least, he, at least, I nailed the introduction for the guest, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ali Dai is a legend, and, and yeah, you're right. I mean, he he was top top goal scorer in, in mm. international football. I mean, prior to recently, um, no legend, and he was he was heavily involved in 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 Perse Palace, um, mm. but. He he ended up taking over as coach a couple of years after I left. But um, no, the coach I had was a uh, was a guy called Mustafa Denizli. Who, um, I, honestly, he's he's the first Turkish coach to ever win three national um, league titles in Turkey with Fenerbahce, Besiktas, and Galatasaray. Wow! Um, Holy crap! Wow! Yeah, and and he was the he, he coached Turkey at a World Cup as well. So mm-hmm. he, uh, he from a managerial standpoint, he's much more highly qualified than Ali Dayi. but maybe not from a goal scoring point of view right (laughs) no no legend Ali Dai is a legend in terms of goals but I was intrigued how did the move to Iran come around and what made you decide to make that move because I know Persepolis are a massive club in Iran right the support is huge but how did that move come around how was it when you got there um the move came on the back of my 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 time with Derry City because I was top goal scorer and player of the year. Um, I mean, it's, it's an indiv- individual accolade, but mm-hmm. that's really why, you know, um, it's funny how, how I guess some scouts and agents work and that's a whole nother conversation, but um, literally, you know, a, a scout over in Iran was, was looking elsewhere for players. And he obviously, uh, Ireland came up and he saw top goal scorer player of the year. He didn't know anything about me. He just, that's what he saw. He saw those headlines and he thought, I'll get in touch with him, and you know, I got into somebody had got in touch with me at the end of that season. Um, obviously, this is what November, December time, so mid-season break in Iran, and um, they they asked me, would you like to go to Iran? And I was like, kind of like, I honestly, I laughed it off, going, yeah, good one, you're joking, and and I didn't think that another for a, a week or two, and um, I uh, again another story, but I went over to uh, to Brunei on a trial for a week, um, and uh, and and. I think I went to Qatar with the Libyan national team to play a few games. And uh, the agent gets back in touch with me um, a couple of weeks after his initial approach and said, no, really, would you like to go to Iran? It's till the end of the year and it's just going to be a short-term package. This is what you're going to be getting um, financially every month. Um, you know, would you consider it? And I said, I was, I was like, I, so I, I you know, get on Google and look at Iran and um, obviously I, 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 you know, see how big the um, the um, obviously football is. It's massive. Mm-hmm. I saw how big Persepolis is, but as a as a as a nation, I didn't really know anything about it except for you put on Google and you read Iran and um, nuclear bombs and all this kind of bad stuff. Um, and yeah. that's what you see in the internet. So yeah, yeah. one thing though that I did see there was an Irish embassy. So I rang the Irish embassy who were based in Iran at the time. And they put my mind at ease. They said, Eamon, honestly, you love the football. Like it's, I mean, they're avid supporters. They're like, you love the football. Um, people are absolutely lovely over here, friendly. Um, forget what you read. Do it. You you won't regret it. Um, and, and, and I said, why not? It was, honestly, I was probably, I mean, even when I went over to Iran and they put the contract in front of me, I was so close to not signing it. 
But uh, really? I, honestly, I was so close to not signing it um, because I, I, I was honestly did not know what to think. Um, um, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did because it was an unbelievable experience. Uh, it was life changing. And uh, I mean, we put up on our Instagram stories, we put up a, a post for our listeners to tell them, like, is there anything you would like to ask Eamon? Man, you've got so many messages from Iran. Questions like, will you ever come back to Persepolis? Then we've got uh, just hearts, love, and followed by a lot of hearts. Zayed Hattrick, somebody's writing. Somebody else is sending you a rose, a heart, and saying Persepolis <laughs> 10, 10, 3. So safe to say that you've become a legend in Tehran. Can you tell us a bit more about that and that specific story? Yeah, I can. Again, I don't know how long we have in this podcast because I can go on and on. <laughs> don't at worry the, about at it. Dude, point, don't worry about just it. go for yeah. it, man. Well, um, uh, what an experience like wh when i went over as i said i didn't know what to expect um and um you know and i've told the story many times but it's i mean you gotta say like i mean you know i was a bit so i got over there the, the after their mid-season break the first of january and um the coach didn't know who the hell it was because he hadn't signed me as the president of the team you know and um and literally um literally he said look i'll have a look at you in training and, and we'll go from there because i don't know what you're like um, as I said, they signed me off the basis that I was top goal scorer in Ireland and player of the year. Um, so a couple of weeks go by and uh, I mean, I've, I, I'm not the best trainer. I'm not the worst trainer. <laughs> right. I'm not the worst. I'm not the best. Like I'm not somebody. Some people come in and they just stand out in training. Mm -hmm. I don't. I just get by. And then when it comes to finishing at the end of the session, I absolutely love finishing. And I think I, I, I look good in terms of finishing. But um, a couple of weeks go by, and well, we're at the end of May, at the end of sorry January, um, and the coach rings my agent, and he rings the president, and he says, "I don't want this guy. I'm not going to play him. I've seen enough." And it was at this point where the president of the team said, "No, nah, look, you're going to give him at least one chance because results, to be fair, hadn't been going particularly well. They've been going again average. So look, look, it was yeah, it was. I got my chance in in the big derby, and um, you know, at the time, I didn't know what. I, I, I obviously I know what a derby is, and you know, I, you know. You know, Liverpool, Everton, or Celtic Rangers, and um, obviously they're massive games. I didn't know how big it was. So, you know, I'm there cruising on the bus, chilling, listening to my music, and everybody is kind of like really uptight. And I could see the players were like, they look frightened. Um, you know, and get into the stadium, it's 90,000 people. And I'm like, buzzing, I'm thinking, this is great. Look at this. Like, you know, uh, and just kind of listening to my music. And I remember even at half time, we were, we were, we were 1 0 down at half time. And it was freezing back in February. It was so cold. Uh, and I went in and, and, and grabbed a cup of tea. And um, I literally grabbed a cup of tea and was just sitting there. And the coach was going mad at the players. And it was, uh, I mean, out like it was so, it was so bizarre. The lights, it was so weird. Honestly, the, the lights went out in the stadium for like about 10 minutes. And they went out in the dressing room. So I'm sitting there in the corner, pitch <laughs> dark, having a cup of tea. The coach is speaking, you know, Turkish um, or Persian translated to Persian and I'm going, what's going on here? Like, where am I? Um, and the uh, next thing, all I hear is, Eamon, Eamon. And I'm like, what? Like, shit, what? And um, <laughs> um, the translator, because he had a translator, the coach comes up to me and says, Eamon, warm up. So I go out, warm up at halftime. Again, it's, honestly, I wish I had pictures because it was beautiful. The, think of a stadium, 90,000 people, electricity goes out, so everybody's just using their mobile phones. Oh, as wow. Well. And I'm like, and it was enough light to obviously see the pitch. So I'm warming up on the pitch going, this is like, I mean, what an experience. I'm never going to forget this. And then, um, you know, 
the game kicks off and, and I'm still warming up in the sideline and we go 2-0 down. Uh, I think it was around the 60th minute or something like that that the coach says, you know, come on, you're, you're coming on. And I have absolutely no doubt um, in my mind that he felt the game was finished. Um, mm-hmm. We were playing against Estegal, uh, who were top of the league at the time. We were like ninth or something. And um, and he thought, the president wants me to play this guy. Well, there you are. Look, go on. All the best. I'll go out and play in the derby. Um, and I've no doubt we did. And I know that because I, was on, I came on the 60th minute and the 70, 70 something, I don't know, 70th minute, we got a player sent off. And, um, you know, we were down to 10 men. And, like, honestly, like, yeah, there's videos that show it. Like, um, and I was very close to the, to the, to the doctor who was, uh, who spoke very good English. Mm-hmm. The coach was making a substitution. He was taking me off. Like, he was, I was coming off. He, I had just been on the pitch 15 minutes. He was taking me off because we had obviously down to 10 men and he was taking a forward off and going down to 4 4 1. And that's when I scored the first goal. And, uh, and obviously he's like, you know, hey, whoever that was, um, um, I remember <laughs> Adam Aki was, yeah, sit down, you. And um, again, in Turkish or Persian, whatever, he, he spoke um, at the time. And, um, and then, yeah, look, you know, it was all a blur. I mean, like in 10 minutes, two more goals come in. And, and it, yeah. so, wait a second. I'll stop you very quickly because this is one question that we wanted to ask you. Like, one thing that stands out about your resume is the amount of hat tricks you've scored. So, we wanted to know one thing. We're not footballers. Um, we just wanted to ask you. So, when you score a hat trick, mm-hmm. can you feel it? Like, after you score the first goal, can you like feel that something is in the air? Like, were you aware that two more goals were coming that day? No, no, like, well, I can talk about in general and then that day. In general, like, when, when a player, um, like, scores two goals, for me anyway, um, I loved goals. Like, I loved, loved scoring goals. Whenever I got the two goals, I always thought about the hat trick scoring the third goal. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, it just wouldn't happen. Um, but you always, as soon as I got a second goal and if there's time left in the game, I always thought about the third goal. Um, now, in that game, I didn't because, you know, uh, the first goal ke- went in, and then when the second goal went in, we were down to ten men. I was thinking two two. This is great. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 keep the ball. And and again, I'll tell you a funny story. But it's it, so that the the coach spoke Turkish, and he had a translator that was literally a shadow who spoke Persian. So we got a, for the third goal is it's the ninetieth minute, and you know two two down to ten men. It was like keep the ball in the corner, and we get a throw, and and you'll see it on video. Our our left back's about to throw it infield, and um. The coach shouts something to him and he looks over and it's like it's kind of lost in translation, but it's it's clear the coach is saying, get the ball in the corner, right? <laughs> right. So, so he does throw the ball in the corner, but for whatever reason, and, and with the idea that we're going to keep it in the corner, but for whatever reason, the player who got it, um, a tricky kind of left winger player, um, instead of keeping it, he kind of he kind of tricked his way past the defender and um it opened up for a cross and as I said, I'm sure the coach was like, what the hell? Like, what are you doing crossing the ball? Because like, you know, there's me in the box and four defenders. But look, yeah, I, it came to me. And at that, I wasn't thinking of the third goal because I was just thinking, I'm thinking I'm a hero at two goals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, when, that, when the third goal went in again, it's a blur. And it was, um, yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Mate, well, that's be- an incredible story. Sorry, Rory. No, it, it is. It's insane. And it must be nice to see that even now, like the, the fans from Persepolis still like remember that hat trick. And you, I can feel my phone still going off with messages coming to Instagram from listeners, right? So is that a club now that's like really close to your heart, I imagine? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because look, you know, football football in England is, is obviously massive. Football in, in, in a lot of parts of the world is massive. But in in countries like um like Iran, where you know they don't have, you know, there's 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 not a lot of other sports to compete with. So mm-hmm. soccer is by far the biggest sport over there. Um, you know, also, you know, just in terms of entertainment, in terms of bars and, and clubs and all that kind of stuff, you know, obviously that's that's illegal over there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people still do it in the privacy of their own home, but it's illegal. Um, so football is like an escape. I'm not going to call Iran a third world country, but it's like an escape from, from, from other things that are going on in their life. So because of that, like they're absolutely fanatical about it. And I love that. Like I loved, I loved how, like you saw, like their energy gave me energy. You know, you honestly, you feed off. And I'm definitely a player that feeds off other people's energy. So, so the bigger, the bigger the crowd, the better uh, I felt. So I loved it. And, and, and the people were really genuinely like, I mean, they're so friendly, like they're really nice. Um, and they're, they're really interested in, in, in you as a foreigner, as an international and your culture. And it, it, it honestly, it absolutely opened my eyes up massively to, you know, how people, you read the news and, and, and you know, and, and stuff like that. And a lot of the time, it's, a lot of the time it's bullshit. Like, and that, you need to get over and, and experience it and see, and, you know, that's not a representation of the people in Iran, whatever. Like, you know, when you're, you're reading some things about nuclear bombs or the government over there or blah, mm. blah, blah, whatever. That's okay. That's a small, small, you know, a very 1% or less than 1%. I mean, 99% of the people over there are absolutely beautiful, like really nice people mm-hmm. and friendly. Uh, and I did, obviously, like anything, like, you know, when you when you score goals for a club um, and, and people accept you, um, especially as a foreigner, um, and they make you feel welcome and make you feel like a home, you have that connection. And, um, mm. you know, and again, I felt good and, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say anything, but you end up getting two hat tricks, like, you know, um, after that hat trick. So, uh, no, but it was no, because I felt good and I was happy and I have that connection. I'll always have that connection with, with, with Iran. And before we move on to the United States, which was the end of your career, uh, we've got a question that seems particularly fitting right now from at Mr. Datis on Instagram. I, I'm assuming he's a Persepolis fan and he's asking you, what's your opinion about this new look Persepolis after Branco? Yeah, so so when I was there, um, Persepolis is the biggest team in 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 Iran, but when I was there, they were going through a bit of a weird period, um, not really challenging for the titles or anything like that. And then Branko um, Ivanovic came in and really like a great coach. And, and again, I wasn't there. I wish I was there when he was there because he was he transformed the the team and and you know got them obviously winning again and and mm-hmm. now they're dominating over there. And um, he left. Uh, I don't even want to pronounce his last name. Ali Reza came in. Um, but he's done really well, and and they're flying. They're, the results haven't changed. They're still dominating. So now they're they're a really good team, exciting team, and I mean they're they're dominating right now. So it's hard to, it's hard to complain. <laughs> yeah. Any faults, you know? Beautiful. So before you go to the US, you do have a quick, a very quick stint in Malaysia. Was mm-hmm. that another kind of adventure? How did it feel to go to again another country that I think people forget how passionately people feel about football in Malaysia? I think the yeah. games also there are very well supported, right? Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, soccer's massive in Malaysia, and I think that's mm-hmm. why you see a lot of Premiership clubs and top European clubs trying to. And delve into that market and play preseason games over towards Asia. Um, so no, football is massive in Asia. Um, that came about. It's funny again how football works, uh, and it's all connected. Um, 
I told you, like in between Derry City and signing for Iran, I went over to Brunei for a week, mm-hmm. um, and there was an Irish guy over there, uh, a guy called uh, George O'Callaghan, who was actually playing for the team. So fast forward, two thousand and started two thousand fifteen, he actually ended up taking over a team in um, in Malaysia, in uh, the Brunei, in the Borneo Islands, place called Sabah, um, and not far from Brunei where he actually was playing where I had met him. And I obviously left a good impression on him as a person and as a player that he rang me up and said, Hey, listen, do you fancy coming over to, to Malaysia? He says, I remember when you came over for the week in Brunei, you know, obviously we got on and, and I liked your, your style and, and how you were as a person and your attitude. And I'd like to have you over here if you, you're interested. And, and I said, why not? I said, you know, mm-hmm. another adventure or something different. Yeah. Um, you know, I always wanted to go over to Asia and travel around and see it and experience a different culture. So, so yeah, I loved it. It was, it was, it was good. It was good. Standard is is not great. Um, right. That's a struggle. Um, if I'm being honest, you know, every team can have four foreign players, and um, in in the in in Malaysia, they expect the foreign players to produce miracles. Right. Like they, okay. Like they, honestly, right. they do. Like I mean, and it's. It's especially the really- ones, especially the ones with your reputation. Like, why would you sign Amon Zayed if you're not expecting a hat trick in the last, <laughs> in the dying minutes of your home derby? Right. Well, that, I mean, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> like, yeah, they had Amon Zayed, but they had El Hadjouf, they had Abdullah Fai. I mean, they were like massive players. Yeah, yeah, no, like, and there are two of the other foreigners. So, I mean, I, I would like. <laughs> But no, they, they honestly expect miracles. So like, and I'll tell, and this is so. The first three games, we we won two and drew one. Uh, I got a couple of assists in both games or, mm-hmm. or in two of the games, um, but I hadn't scored yet. And after the second game, uh, and we had won the first two games. The uh, owner of the team pulls me, uh, a Chinese businessman, and he said, "Yeah, you haven't scored yet." And I'm I'm laughing it off, thinking it's a joke. And I'm going, yeah, I haven't scored, but like we've won, and obviously, you know, a couple of assists or whatever. And he goes, no, like, are you, are you like, you know, are you okay? Uh, you know, are you feeling okay? Like, when are you going to score? And I'm thinking, what? What? We only played two games, and um, and I, like he was deadly serious. He he was not happy that I had not scored, um, even though we had won. So that that uh, I mean that blew my mind. Um, and and the fourth game, we we played in front of, we probably played in front of. Uh, regular about 20,000 fans over in Malaysia and um, there was a group of fans like our ultras a couple of thousand people behind one goal and I remember in the fourth game they had a massive sign um, and I'm, I'm looking at this when I'm going out to, to warm up a massive sign a TIFO that kind of said that said um, scores out or go home and, I'm, <laughs> and, I'm, and we're looking at then what three, the fuck you know played three games one two drew one and I'm thinking what this is is this what's going on here so um, I, I uh, luckily for me, I scored in that game. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I ended up, I ended up scoring, um, scoring six on the bounce, six games straight. I scored, um, I think I got seven goals in 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 that seven games, and it wasn't like, oh, well done, Eamon. It was like, yeah, that, that's what we expect. Um, oh wow! And it was like it just as I so you know they they expected they expect miracles from foreigners. I mean, a proper miracles and um, mm-hmm. great year, great experience. 
But but I'll be honest, one year was enough for me there. <laughs> I, I, can, I, I can kind of understand why, I think. Quickly, before we go to the US, just your thoughts on El Hadjouf? Because I think I know people who've worked with him and... Yeah, bonkers. Okay, right, yeah, right, that's fine. No, I mean, what, like, he's he's a character, but he's larger than life, and he's... he's uh, uh, yeah, again, I, I have a few stories that I can't tell online. Um, honestly, like, and some of them would honestly blow your mind. Um, but But... As a player, it was great. As we played two up top, I was number nine, he was number 10. And, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't have the legs, but, well, he still had the ability, and especially in mm-hmm. Malaysia, because the standard was was not great. I mean, you know, I made any kind of run. and I didn't even have to look at him. I just made a run and hit five my feet. Oh, uh, wow. I think I scored, I think I got 11 goals that year, and I'd say six of them, seven of them were definitely assists from him. Um, I mean, he, he was uh, a frightening ability, but, Look, he came to Malaysia when he just honestly didn't give a fuck about football anymore. Are you still in touch with him? Are you still in touch with him? No, I'm not. And I have a I, again I have a story that I just can't say online. But why I, I'm not in touch with him? Um, <laughs> we can wait until we stop recording. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> no, no, he's not. I had. I'll tell you what. I had a great relationship with him for ninety percent of the time there. I, mm-hmm. I did because we are foreigner. He liked it. You know, he's very flamboyant, like to have fun off the pitch. And, um, you know, again, larger than life character. And he was funny, good banter. Um, and I enjoyed I enjoyed a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. but, but certain things you're just like, ah, oh, mate, like what? Like you're, like, <laughs> I can see why, I can see why he had so many issues in his career. I, I was going to use you as our middleman to get him to come on the oh, pod. God, but I, I, guess, <laughs> I guess we'll have to look elsewhere. Yeah, you wouldn't want to him to be on the show. Well, you would actually. I mean, some of the stories that he has. But anyway, he's, yeah, he's mental. That's awesome. But then from so from Iran to Malaysia and then to the United States, where you got to play for the Indy 11 and you got to produce yet another miracle, also known as the miracle of the mic. American listeners, go look that up. It's another hat-trick story, which meant a title for the Indy 11. Then you went to the Charlotte Independence, then to the Chattanooga Red Wolves, and here about the state of football in the United States of America. We had actually an episode last year. If listeners want to look back at it, it was episode 38 with uh, some of our American friends. We called the episode the American Soccer Renaissance. So right now you're managing a newborn team. You've played also in the U.S. Can you tell us a bit more about the pyramid of U.S. football? Because for us Europeans, it's quite complicated to understand. And then just about how actually exciting it is to be in this super fast-growing environment, such as American football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, again, uh, you know, it's hard to be here for hours trying to explain the pyramid and how soccer works over here. And um, we'll call it soccer now that we're talking about America. Um, how it works? It's 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 it is it's bizarre. It's different. It's not what I'm I was used to. Um, I mean, look, this this sums it up. When I came over to America in 2016 to play for Indy 11. We played in the NASL, which is the was the oldest um, mm-hmm. league in America. I mean, two years later, that, that no longer exists. There is no NASL. Um, so what you have in America is you have the MLS, which is um, everybody knows the MLS, Major League Soccer. That's a monopoly. That's out on its own. It's it's effectively a first division, no relegation, no promotion. You you literally you you bid and pay money to try and get into that league, mm-hmm. which 
goes against most people's ideals and you know soccer being competitive um and competitively getting into the top league well look you have major league soccer that's you know it, that's that's what everybody knows it's the glamour glamour show of, of american um soccer um and then you have the united so- um the united soccer league the usl um and and that's where i'm coaching now and that's where i've played in for the last couple of years and I, I I really like what they're trying to do. Um, so the United the United Soccer League um, USL has a USL Championship and has USL League One. Um, now there's no at the moment there's no promotion relegation, but they are looking into that, um, and, wow. and hopefully they'll have that in a few years because I think that will be that will put it up against the MLS mm-hmm. uh, and will make people decide what is better. Um, but it's it's a growing league, really really growing. There's like well there's what how many teams there's is there close to 60 teams involved or, or 50 teams involved between the two leagues um and obviously america's massive it's massive so they they split it into the usl championship is split into a western conference and, a, and an eastern conference and then they come and play playoffs in the end at the end of the year because it's america and they like to have playoffs um and again then you have the usl league one which i'm going to coach in which is for me the most exciting fastest growing league in the in america um and, and is obviously the team i'm with now northern colorado hellstorm fc are starting next year they're going to be jumping into that league because it's so exciting so it's hard to explain in, in the words what how it is but that's literally you have to make you have mls and then you have usl right mm-hmm. there is another league um called nisa that that came in this year but i'm not going to talk about them now because again it just, just overcomplicates things the, the two leagues that you need to know are, are the MLS and the USL, you know, and, and one thing I'll say um, is that obviously in America, people think you have American football and you have, you have baseball and you have basketball. Since I've been here, soccer has absolutely grown massively. It's, it's the biggest sport in terms that's being played with young kids nowadays. So it's the, more, it's the Amon Zaya defect. I think since you came uh, to the US, it just boom, just went up like that. I mean, I don't want to take you know credit for it, but like you know, I mean, maybe maybe it's the young kids looking at those hat tricks saying, "Hey, I want to do that one day." Um, but no, it's it's really honestly, it's it's grown so quick, so rapidly in America, all over. Um, you know, I, I coached you know young kids, um, girls and boys. Uh, obviously, the girls' national team are phenomenal, the best team mm-hmm. in the world, um, and it's probably the best league for women in the world. Uh, I mean, it is not probably it is. Um, but it's so it's it's honestly it's growing rapidly, and I think it's going to culminate. It's going to continue growing, but then the 2026 World Cup is going to be in America, um, and I I think you're really going to see a, a peak of of people playing soccer, and I think I think soccer is going to outpace um, definitely baseball and um, and and kind of I don't know if we'll ever get to American football and and, and basketball, but it'll it'll be it'll be close. It'll be close. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I was kind of doing my research about the USL, the Championship and League One. I find it really nice that they're kind of trying to build the lower leagues. Like when we've seen in Europe that the focus is kind of going away from the lower leagues. I liked that in America they were like, they're realizing the importance of having the local teams and the kind of the support of local communities. Um, now, the team that you spent most, I, I think most of your time at in America was the Indy 11. Yeah. And this is where you had the miracle of the mic. So for our listeners, do you want to explain to us what happened here? And again, how did it feel to kind of have this huge moment? Yeah. That, so basically in the 11 had, had they, um, I think 2014, they came into play. Um, and, you know, for the first couple of years, they were brand new team. 
Um, great fan base, the best fan base in 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 the NESL and, and probably USL right now. Um, you know, great community. They love their sports there. Um, but they had no success on the pitch. And that's fair enough because they'd only been around for two two years, three years when I came on board. But I, I joined yeah, 2016 and um, there was a, a big enough change of players. I think there was like, you know, 10 to 15 players that they brought in. Um, they hired a new coach and um, and the expectations were that, we you know, we wanted to do something. We didn't want to just, he brought in winners. He brought in players that wanted to, to win um and that's that's important it's easier said than done a lot of players are just happy to be professional players mm-hmm. um and and whatever let's let's just play and whether we finish sixth or tenth or whatever it doesn't matter um the players he brought in were winners and, and we wanted to win and and do well so literally the game um we are neck and neck with new york cosmos for for a championship and um they new york cosmos played I think I don't know if it was the night before our game, but they played before us, and um, and they were they were three points ahead of us, and um, our head to head was I think our head to head was better, yeah, because we had beaten them, but but um, that that was like the fourth factor. Goals obviously points first, and then I think it mm-hmm. goes to, to goals against or goals for goals against, and then head to head. So for us to to match everything that they had. We obviously had to win our game against them, um, North Carolina Railhawks we were playing. We had to win our game. We also had to win our game by three goals. Um, and then that would put it to the fourth differential of the head-to-head, which we we were better than them on. So, look, leading up to the game, um, that's something that I do. I, I remember so much because we knew what we, we had to do. We knew we had to win by three goals. So, um, you know, we, we hadn't scored over two goals in the game all season. Um, and we were playing against a team that were a good team. We weren't playing against a team that were like bottom of the league. Like North Carolina were a good team, um, you know, with good players. Um, so to beat them is 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 a great result. But to beat them by three, I mean, you know, nobody obviously thought we were going to do it. Um, again, why it's called miracle at the mic. I mean, I'm sure our fans didn't even think we were going to do it. Um, and, and a funny story which I love to hear. Um, I just love to hear. Um, the, the night of the game, the New York Cosmos, the team, they had a they had a, like a watch party, a celebration party. Oh. They were watching our game, champagne on ice. Like they were, <laughs> they were having a night out, like pre-celebrating, and it was Brilliant. just to confirm they were just watching our game. But they had they, they had booked out a room, everything. This was all set for them. <laughs> um, and yeah, look, I scored one um first half then 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 it was 1-1 and i think an important part of that game was we scored on like literally right before the end of half the first half we scored to put us 2-1 up and i remember all week it was funny i don't know sometimes things happen and things are meant to be um me and a, a couple of the players that was really close to that was closest on the team um an irish guy called colin falby who's our captain we 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 kind of joked about 4-1 we we knew we'd concede because we had to go out all out attack Mm-hmm. Um, but we thought right four one is a, is is a realistic. We might concede one, but if we're going to score by three, we have to, you know, we have to score three. But I think four one was was more realistic than five two or three nil. Um, so so yeah, look, second half I, I scored another one um, to put us three one up, and again we're pushing and we're pushing, and the crowd are behind us, and we really did feel the crowd behind us going into the last ten minutes of the game, and. I think it was the 86 minute um i scored the the fourth goal and obviously my third goal and 
I know it was oh, it was unbelievable. Like to 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 bring a it, you know it just to bring a title to to obviously to clinch it off New York Cosmos was was even better. Well, uh, they're a huge team, right? Like the uh, name is huge, right? The name is huge. Oh you yeah, know? no, and, and they had some they had some good players and. Um, Please tell me you flew to New York and crashed the watch party. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, we, had, I mean, we had so we had a great celebration of ourselves. That, that <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I was uh, when I heard that, I was, I was I was laughing to myself that we were, you know, I was delighted. But, um, but no, it was great. The fans loved it, and um, it was great to be able to bring a championship to to the city. And I mean, look, we're in 2021 now, and it's still the only championship India have ever won. Um, you know, so it was it was a proud moment, and when I yeah, that was that was my, my favorite kind of playing moment in in America so far. Nice. So be, be, before we go to our listeners' uh, last questions and to our customary questions, like the best player you've ever played with, start thinking about it. We kind of wanted to ask you, how does it feel to be not really, so you are going to be the manager, but at the same time, you're helping assemble the team. So is it a bit of a football manager experience, we could say? Rory over here is obsessed with football So I, I play a lot of football manager, right? And I like to do the create a club. And it seems difficult on that game. So I, I'm actually intrigued as to just how difficult, it, what have you had to like, what are the things you didn't expect to have to do and just how wide ranging is, is the job that you're in? Um, so I guess my title over here, it's, um, they don't call a manager, they call a head coach. Um, it's the same thing. Um, <laughs> you know, soccer, football, same thing, but head coach and technical director. So uh, I'm obviously tasked with all the duties that a normal manager or head coach would do, but then it's a brand new club. So from, from the technical director standpoint, um, I'm I'm assembling the, the the squad and also wow. I guess negotiating contracts um, and and putting the technical staff together um, and for me it's 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 um, it's a challenge that is really really exciting and one that really appealed mm. to me. Um, I I I'd actually rather this than going into a, an already established team and already having I don't know like. 20 odd players in the books and having to kind of chop and change and get players off the books and bring some in. And then, you know, as well with the technical staff, I get to build everything from scratch. So it's a lot of work, but um, it's work that I'm going to really enjoy doing. And yeah, a little bit, a little bit of, I mean, I played football manager in the past as well, you know, <laughs> that's great fun. Um, you know, and you go out and you, you, you sign Ronaldo and, and there you are, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not as easy as that, um, you know, and especially now, you know, with budgets and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. involved. And um, no, it's great, it's enjoyable, and recruitment is going to be massive. Um, it's the biggest thing in, you know, ask any coach recruitment. You're going to live and die by your recruitment. Um, sometimes it doesn't even matter if you're a good coach or not. Um, you know, if you get the good players in, that's most of the battle already won. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's great. It's great. I love. I love the challenge of being able to build build a whole squad. Uh, have players in mind. Um, most most seasons in America, back home in Ireland, and and elsewhere, further afield, Italy, England, they're all still playing. So um, so I get to I get to look at games and and really kind of have an eye on players that I'm interested in because I'm obviously preparing for for 2022. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And if you also, if you want, for our listeners, but for you as well, Eamon, if you're interested, last year in our episode 23, we interviewed actually Dundalk manager 
uh, Filippo Giovagnoli, and well, he also, it was his first coaching job. He also had a long experience in the U.S., and uh, we talk about Irish football, so it really seems like down your alley as well. But so we've got time now for a few questions from our followers on Instagram. And the first one that I have for you is, uh, is James Claffey your best mate or only your best sports psychologist? Oh, James himself. I, I, uh, James is a great guy. I've done my UEFA license with James. Um, and uh, and uh, look, I learned a lot from him from, from a different standpoint. He, um, he obviously, he, he's he's big into psychology i mean that's his that's his career that's his profession so you know obviously you know there's there's a lot more to to football than just the coaching part of it it's the mm-hmm. psychology side of things and and really i think to be a a great leader and a great coach you have to understand the players and the mentality of the players and tap into that psychology and, and get them um you know find out what what makes them tick and what makes them motivated and and yeah i mean he he knows better than anybody i mean that's his I think he wants to come over here as assistant coach. I'm not sure if uh, I'm not sure if he's that good of a mate. If I'm going to take him on, you can break the news to him on our show. It's fine. Really, what? Well, I mean, to do a zooms with the players because he's he's top notch. He's unbelievable with with, mm-hmm. with the psychology part of things. Um, yeah, great guy. <laughs> and now get ready for this one, Eamon. Hold on tight. I was really pressured to ask you this question. It comes from your mate Shane McFall, <laughs> and right. he's asking you I what really. What really happened in Vegas in 2009? Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. What, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm leave it at that. I mean, all I'll say is Shane, Shane, Shane let himself down and he knows it. <laughs> but I have to, but because here he's clapping back live and he says, let's just say that Eamon is the worst wingman ever. Is that true? Honestly, I mean, you know, when you see guys, I mean, missing absolute sitters, open goals. <laughs> I mean, he's like a few yards out and they still managed to miss the target. I mean, that was that was him. I mean, I was I was the best. I was messy with my assists. And he just could not find the back of the net. I mean, it was it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. He, 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 lost, was... Many, he lost many a game over in Vegas because of him. <laughs> you you were messy and he was a peak Alvaro Morata, we could say. <laughs> yeah, um, mate, yeah. That's great. Love the question, but even more so loved the answer. So Rory, for our customary questions to footballers, I let you go. So we kind of everyone we've interviewed who has played, we ask the same questions, so kind of quick fire-ish. Um the best player you've ever played with? Best player I ever played with was uh, Ali Karimi. Um, probably the best, the best most talented. Ali Dai is obviously legend in terms of goals. Mm-hmm. The most talented player ever to come out of Iran was Ali Ali Karimi. Absolute magician, fantastic player. Nice. And the best player you played against? I mean, there's a couple of uh, um, one of the, one of the best players I played against, but it's probably because he's one of my favorite players was um, Henrik Larsson. Um, oh wow. Yeah, we played in the European with Drogheda United, and uh, it was great. We both were wearing a number 17 jersey. We both scored. We drew 1-1, and um, there was a great headline in, in, in the Irish papers about, you know, obviously because it's uh, we're biased, it's Ireland about, you know, everybody went to look at, um, you know, a certain number 17, and it turned out to, you know, whatever. It turned out to be <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, yeah, phenomenal. Um 
Um, and then I guess one player that what that sticks out to me, and I wouldn't, I mean, it wasn't a game, it was it was training. But when I went over to Everton, um, you know, um, I remember playing in um, playing in in, in training. Uh, Wayne Rooney was there, and he just got the, he, wow. he moved a couple of months later to Man United. But I remember he was he had scored that goal against Arsenal, and there was a bit a lot of talk about him. And I remember yeah. in training thinking, you know what, I'm gonna. You know, I'm gonna mark this guy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what he's about, and I, I couldn't get close to him. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> not, not that it was nothing to do with like him being quicker than me in terms of you know physically. He was just mentally so much quicker than mm-hmm. me. And every time I thought I was close to him, I'd look around and he's somewhere else. And I'm thinking, like, what? What the hell is this guy? He's on. Like, what, what's going on? Um, and I remember thinking, like, yeah, well, he's just. I mean, he's just so good. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was. He, he, he he always looked like he was designed to play football, right? He was designed yeah. to play football. Um, okay, I'm going to ask the the best stadium you played in, or your favorite stadium that you played in. Um, best stadium I played in, favorite stadium I played in. Um, I don't know. I mean, I really like the Azadi, obviously, over in in mm-hmm. Iran, the national team stadium where Press Palace played. Um, yeah, I love playing because, like, you know, they were, you know, we. The biggest, obviously, the derby was ninety thousand, and then because uh, uh, the weather was so bad, it would have been more. And a month later, we played in in my first uh, Asian Champions League game um, against uh, Al Shabab of Dubai, and uh, and that was ninety six thousand people. And I mean, you know, to have ninety six thousand people in the stadium, uh, you know, was uh, not many stadiums in the world can hold that. Um, so um, yeah, so that, that, has, that has to be my favorite. The most right. intimidating, the most intimidating stadium, and again, kind of, I forgot about this. One of the best players I played against, though, the most intimidating stadium I ever played in. We played. Um, uh, it was a quali- Actually, the winners go to the World Cup 2013 for the 2014 World Cup. We played Cameroon with the Libyan national team, and um, it was in Cameroon. And Cameroon hadn't lost a, go- a home game in 37 years. And I remember thinking, 37 years—that's impossible. What? Never heard any team do that. And well, I remember, like you know, the bus drops you off about a mile down the road and you have to go through these, you know, like all the home fans, like, you know, going crazy and you're like, oh, is this even safe? And then the atmosphere is just electric and um, Samuel Leto was the captain at the time. And, wow. Um, yeah, we lost 1-0, um, but that was the most intimidating atmosphere I ever played in. Now, listeners, if I reacted to Arsenal before, Tommy has just reacted to Samuel Leto like... An excited child. I, I'm not sure, but Tommy is an Inter fan, so Samuel Eto to him oh, has yeah. just set him up. <laughs> yeah, no, big, big time. Actually, one of one of my favorite players of all time. I have to say, Samuel yeah, Eto. Yeah, yeah, I love watching him play. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Perfect. And finally, I think I might know the answer already, but the best manager that you've played under? Yeah, Stephen Kenny. Stephen Kenny for sure. Um, again, and it's you know. And I don't say that lightly because there's so many other good managers I've played in mm-hmm. um, with maybe on paper uh, may have better pedigrees. Um, but no, he's he's the best manager. Uh, and I, I hope he I hope he goes on and, 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 and proves how good he is mm-hmm. uh, in the international stage. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, Eamon, that was fantastic. Thank you. That was really interesting. Tommy, do you have anything to say? No, well, I mean, thank you so much, Eamon. Uh, we would like you, I mean, if you enjoyed this, it would be lovely to have you back once the season actually starts for the mm-hmm. Northern Colorado Hailstorm. And sure. uh, yeah, it's been it's been great to interview you. Uh, I loved your answer to your mate. <laughs> what happens in Vegas is in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, he was very, 
he was very yeah. insistent on Instagram. He was like, no, no, ask him that. Don't worry. Ask him, ask him, ask him. <laughs> but um, uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, good luck with all of your endeavors. And uh, we'll talk again soon, I guess. Perfect, lads. Cheers for having me on. And after a fantastic showing last week, if I do say so myself, it is now Tommy's turn to upset the odds and maybe, maybe get more than one point. It is time for the one minute till kickoff quiz. Tommy, how are you feeling today? Confident? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm. I don't know about this game anymore, guys. I'll be honest. Oh, I feel like it's only been two games. No, yeah, I'm losing 9-1 against Rory. Uh, this is my chance to kind of increase my score. Let's see how I'm feeling after our theme song. Okay, so Tommy, for our listeners, would you like to tell them what is your chosen subject today? My chosen subject today is the Italian national team of football, of, of course, from 2002 all the way to 2021. I'm ready. Good. So, are you ready for your questions? I am ready. Tre, due, uno, let's go. Two players share Italy's all-time Euros top scorers record. Name one of them. It already starts like this, huh? Um, Del Piero. No. In Euro 2016, Italy had a massive five players who played abroad. Can you name one of them and the club they played for? Pelé at Southampton. Very good. Which team finished third ahead of Italy in the World Cup 2010 on two points in the group stage? Mm, uh, I don't know. Next. How many times since Euro 2000 have Italy won all three group games? One. No. Italy, of course, beat England on penalties in Euro 2020. But which previous tournament did you also beat England on penalties? Ah, uh, Euro 2012. Very good. Which team have you faced most in the knockout stages from 2000 to 2020? No, next. <laughs> okay, and finally, which Italy manager has the lowest win percentage since the 2000s? Clue, it was his second spell in charge. Uh, Marcello Lippi. Good, there we Fuck go. Bad. Only two points. Time. Oh my God. So right now you're winning 9-3 and we're on even games because I scored only two points today. Take me through the correct answers, Rory. I beg you. Okay, so the two players who share Italy's all-time Euro Championship top scorer award are Cassano and Balotelli, both on three goals. In Euro 2016, Italy had a massive five players who played abroad. Can you name them and the club they played for? You said Graziano Pele from Southampton. Of course, you could have had Darmian from United, Ogbonna from West Ham, Motta from PSG, and Sirigu also from PSG. Question number three. Which team finished third ahead of Italy in 2010 on two points? It was New Zealand, Tommy. You finished below New Zealand. Ah, uh, okay. No, I thought they would finish the... This was badly worded. I thought that they finished the World Cup third, not the group stage. But yeah, right. Said, it's my oh, English, okay, okay. but it's probably bad. Number four. How many times since Euro 2000 have Italy won all three group games? It's twice Euro 2000 and Euro 
2020. Number five, Italy, of course, beat England on penalties in Euro 2020, but you also beat us on penalties in Euro 2012. The Pierlo Panenka, baby. I remember With that one. Joe Hart. Well. It ended Joe Hart's career. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, question number six, which team have you faced most in the knockout stages from 2000 to 2020? It is Spain. You faced them four times. Wow. And the final question you did get right, which Italy manager has the lowest win percentage since the 2000s? It was his second spell. It was Marcello Lippi with 40.74%. Played 27, won 11, drawn 11, lost 5. Wow, Rory, you come up with good questions. I feel like uh, you're pretty good at this, especially not making me guess the correct answers. Once again, <laughs> Rory is, is reading. Is, blah, blah, blah. Rory is leading nine to three, but that's it with the episode. Rory, anything more to tell our listeners before I send them off with our customary quote? Just thanks for listening, as always, guys. Don't forget to like, comment, share, tell a friend, retweet. Put us in your stories, everything that millennials do, and I will see you next week. Remember to follow us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, but also to give a follow to our main sponsor, actually our only sponsor, Sport Clubs Maps. You can find find them on Instagram and Twitter, but also you can go to their website, www.sportclubsmaps.co.uk. Okay, but now it's time for our ending of the show quote, and we're going to quote Junior Messias, the Brazilian, whom from Crotone has just signed with AC Milan. Now you have to think that this guy came to Italy just to try to make a living, and at first he was playing uh, football for the company he was working for, and he was actually offloading refrigerators. Here we go with the quote. I didn't think I was good enough. I never thought I would get this far. However, I worked hard and made sacrifices year after year, season after season. Dreams do come true. You just have to believe in them. Thank you very much for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you next Friday. 